Chapter Twenty Two of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Upon his arrival at Annalee, Ormond found that Doctor Cambray and all his family were there. Yes, all your friends," said Lady Annalee, as Ormond looked round with pleasure. All your friends, Mr. Ormond. You must allow me an old right to be of that number. And here is my son, who is as well inclined as I hope you feel to pass over the intermediate formality of new acquaintanceship and become intimate with you as soon as possible. Sir Herbert Annalee confirmed by the polite cordiality of his manner all that his mother promised, adding that their mutual friend, Dr. Cambray, had made him already so fully acquainted with Mr. Ormond that though he had never had the pleasure of seeing him before, he could not consider him as a stranger. Florence Annalee was beautiful, but not one of those beauties who strike at first sight hers was a face which neither challenged nor sued for admiration there was no expression thrown into the eyes or the eyebrows no habitual smile on the lips the features were all in natural repose the face never expressed anything but what the mind really felt but if any just observation was made in miss annalee's company any stroke of genius that countenance instantly kindled into light and life and if any noble sentiment was expressed if any generous action was related then the soul within illumined the countenance with a ray divine when once ormond had seen this his eye returned in hopes of seeing it again he had an indescribable interest and pleasure in studying a countenance which seemed so true an index to a noble and cultivated mind to a heart of delicate but not morbid sensibility his manners and understanding had been formed and improved beyond what could have been expected from the few opportunities of improvement he had till lately enjoyed he was timid however in conversation with those of whose information and abilities he had a high opinion so that at first he did not do himself justice but in his timidity there was no awkwardness it was joined with such firmness of principle and such a resolute manly character that he was peculiarly engaging to women during his first visit at Annalee, he pleased much and was so much pleased with every individual of the family with their manners their conversation their affection for each other and altogether with their mode of living that he declared to dr cambray he never had been so happy in his whole existence it was a remarkable fact however that he spoke much more of lady annalee and sir herbert than of miss annalee he had never before felt so very unwilling to leave any place or so exceedingly anxious to be invited to repeat his visit he did receive the wished-for invitation and it was given in such a manner as left him no doubt that he might indulge his own ardent desire to return and to cultivate the friendship of this family his ardour for foreign travel his desire to see more of the world greatly abated and before he reached castle hermitage and by the time he saw his guardian he had almost forgotten that sir ulic had traced for him a course of travels through the british islands and the most polished parts of the continent 
he now told sir ulic that it was so far advanced in the season that he thought it better to spend the winter in ireland in dublin instead of london said sir ulic smiling very patriotic and very kind to me for i am sure i am your first object and depend upon it few people ladies always excepted will ever like your company better than i do then sir ulic went rapidly over every subject and every person that could lead his ward farther to explain his feelings but now as usual he wasted his address for the ingenuous young man directly opened his whole heart to him i am impatient to tell you sir said he how very kindly i was received by lady annerley she is very kind said sir ulic i suppose in general you have found yourself pretty well received wherever you have gone not to flatter you too much on your mental or personal qualifications and no disparagement to dr cambray's letters of introduction or my own five or six thousand a year are i have generally observed a tolerably good passport into society a sufficient passe-partout passe-partout not partout not quite sufficient at annerley you cannot mean sir oh i cannot mean anything but that annerley is altogether the eighth wonder of the world said sir ulic and all the men and women in it absolutely angels perfect angels no sir if you please not perfect for i have heard though i own i never saw it that perfection is always stupid now certainly that the annerleys are not well well they shall be as imperfect as you like anything to please you but sir you used to be so fond of the annerleys i remember true and did i tell you that i had changed my opinion your manner though not your words tells me so you mistake the fact is for i always treat you harry with perfect candour i was hurt and vexed by their refusal of my son but after all added he with a deep sigh it was marcus's own fault he has been very dissipated miss annerley was right and her mother quite right i own lady annerley is one of the most respectable women in ireland and miss annerley is a charming girl i never saw any girl i should have liked so much for my daughter-in-law but marcus and i don't always agree in our tastes i don't think the refusal there was half as great a mortification and disappointment to him as it was to me you delight me dear sir cried ormond for then i may feel secure that if ever in future i don't mean in the least that i have any present thought it would be absurd it would be ridiculous it would be quite improper you know i was only there ten days but i mean if in future i should ever have any thoughts any serious thoughts well well said sir ulic laughing at ormond's hesitation and embarrassment i can suppose that you will have thoughts of some kind or other and serious thoughts in due course but as you justly observe it would be quite ridiculous at present i beg your pardon sir interrupted harry but it would even at present be an inexpressible satisfaction to me to know that if in future such a thing should occur i should be secure in the first place of your approbation as to that my dear boy 
said sir ulic you know in a few days you will be at years of discretion then my control ceases yes sir but not my anxiety for your approbation and my deference for your opinion then said sir ulic and without circumlocution or nonsense i tell you at once harry ormond that florence annalee is the woman in the world i should like best to see your wife thank you sir for this explicit answer i am sure towards me nothing can have been more candid and kind than your whole conduct has ever been that's true harry exclaimed sir ulic tell me about this duel you have fought a duel in defence of my conduct and character i understand since i saw you but my dear fellow though i am excessively obliged to you i am exceedingly angry with you how could you possibly be so hot-headed and silly as to take up any man for relishing the ulysiana bless ye i relish it myself i only laugh at such things believe me tis the best way i am sure of it sir if one can and indeed i have had pretty good proof that one should despise reports and scandal of all kinds easier for one's self sometimes than for one's friends yes my dear ormond by the time you have been half as long living in the great and political world as i have been you will be quite case-hardened and will hear your friends abused without feeling it in the least believe me i once was troubled with a great deal of susceptibility like yours but after all tis no bad thing for you to have fought a duel a feather in your cap with the ladies and a warning to all impertinent fellows to let you alone but you were wounded the newspaper said i asked you where three times in my letters you never condescended to answer me answer me now i insist upon it in my arm sir a slight scratch slight scratch or not i must hear all about it come tell me exactly how the thing began and ended tell me all the rascals said of me you won't then i'll tell you they said i am the greatest jobber in ireland that i do not mind how i throw away the public money in short that i am a sad political profligate well well i am sure after all they did me the justice to acknowledge that in private life no man's honour is more to be depended on they did do you that justice sir said armand but pray ask me no farther questions for frankly it is disagreeable to me and i will tell you no more that's frank said sir ulic and i as frankly assure you i am perfectly satisfied then to return to the annalees said ormond i never saw sir herbert till now i like him i like his principles his love of his country and his attachment to his family he's a very fine fellow no better fellow than herbert annalee but as for his attachment to his family who thanks him for that who could help it with such a family and his love for his country everybody loves his country more or less i suppose said ormond but upon my word i entirely agree with you about sir herbert though i know he is prejudiced against me to the last degree if he be i don't know it sir i never found it out he will let it out by and by i only hope he will not prejudice you against me 
that is not very easily done sir as you have given some proof my dear boy and i thank you for it but the annalise would go more cautiously to work i only put you on your guard marcus and sir herbert never could hit it off together and i am afraid the breach between us and the annalise must be widened for marcus must stand against sir herbert at the next election if he live pray how is he not strong sir he has a hectic colour as i was very sorry to see ay poor fellow he broke some blood vessel i think marcus told me when they were in england yes sir so lady annalee told me it was in over-exerting himself to extinguish a fire a very fine-spirited fellow he is no doubt said sir ulic but after all that was rather a foolish thing in his state of health by the by as your guardian it is my duty to explain the circumstances of this family in case you should hereafter have any serious thoughts as you say you should know what comforted marcus in his disappointment there there is then some confounded flaw in that old father's will through which the great herbert estate slips to an heir-at-law who has started up within this twelve-month miss annalee who was to have been a nonpareil of an heiress in case of the brother's death will have but a moderate fortune and the poor dowager will be but scantily provided for after all the magnificence which she has been used to unless he lives to make up something handsome for them i don't know the particulars but i know that a vast deal depends on his living till he has levied certain fines which he ought to have levied instead of amusing himself putting out other people's fires but i am excessively anxious about it and now on your account as well as theirs for it would make a great difference to you if you seriously have any thoughts of miss annalee ormond declared this could make no difference to him since his own fortune would be sufficient for all the wishes of such a woman as he supposed miss annalee to be the next day marcus o'shane arrived from england this was the first time that ormond and he had met since the affair of moriarty and the banishment from castle hermitage the meeting was awkward enough notwithstanding sir ulic's attempts to make it otherwise marcus laboured under the double consciousness of having deserted harry in past adversity and of being jealous of his present prosperity ormond at first went forward to meet him more than half-way with great cordiality but the cold politeness of marcus chilled him and the heartless congratulations and frequent allusions in the course of the first hour to ormond's new fortune and consequence offended our young hero's pride he grew more reserved the more complimentary marcus became especially as in all his compliments there was a mixture of persiflage which marcus supposed erroneously that ormond's untutored unpractised ear would not perceive harry sat silent proudly indignant he valued himself on being something and somebody independently of his fortune he had worked hard to become so he had the consciousness about him of tried integrity resolution and virtue 
and was it to be implied that he was somebody only in consequence of his having chanced to become heir of so many thousands a year sir ulic whose address was equal to most occasions was not able to manage so as to make these young men like one another marcus had an old jealousy of harry's favour with his father of his father's affection for harry and at the present moment he was conscious that his father was with just cause much displeased with him of this harry knew nothing but marcus suspected that his father had told ormond everything and this increased the awkwardness and ill-humour that marcus felt and notwithstanding all his knowledge of the world and conventional politeness he showed his vexation in no very well-bred manner he was now in particularly bad humour in consequence of a scrape as he called it which he had got into during his last winter in london respecting an intrigue with a married woman of rank marcus by some intemperate expressions had brought on the discovery of which when it was too late he repented a public trial was likely to be the consequence the damages would doubtless be laid at the least at ten thousand pounds marcus however counting as sons sometimes do in calculating their father's fortune all the credit and knowing nothing of the debtor side of the account conceived his father's wealth to be inexhaustible lady o'shane's large fortune had cleared off all debts and had set sir ulic up in a bank which was in high credit then he had shares in a canal and in a silver mine he held two lucrative sinecure places and had bought estates in three counties but the son did not know that for the borrowed purchase money of two of the estates sir ulic was now paying high and accumulating interest so that the prospect of being called upon for ten thousand pounds was most alarming in this exigency sir ulic who had long foreseen how the affair was likely to terminate had his eye upon his ward's ready money it was for this he had been at such peculiar pains to ingratiate himself with ormond affection nevertheless made him hesitate he was unwilling to injure or to hazard his property very unwilling to prey upon his generosity still more so after the late handsome manner in which ormond had hazarded his life in defence of his guardian's honour sir ulic who perceived the first evening that marcus and ormond met that the former was not going the way to assist these views pointed out to him how much it was for his interest to conciliate ormond and to establish himself in his good opinion but marcus though he saw and acknowledged this could not submit his pride and temper to the necessary restraint for a few hours he would display his hereditary talents and all his acquired graces but the next hour his ill-humour would break out towards his inferiors his father's tenants and dependents in a way which ormond's generous spirit could not bear before he went to england even from his boyish days his manners had been habitually haughty and tyrannical to the lower class of people 
ormond and he had always differed and often quarrelled on this subject ormond hoped to find his manners altered in this respect by his residence in a more polished country but the external polish he had acquired had not reached the mind high-bred society had taught him only to be polite to his equals he was now still more disposed to be insolent to his inferiors especially to his irish inferiors he affected to consider himself as more than half an englishman and returning from london in all the distress and disgrace to which he had reduced himself by criminal indulgence in the vices of fashionable and what he called refined society he vented his ill-humour on the poor irish peasants the natives as he termed them in derision he spoke to them as if they were slaves he considered them as savages marcus had early in life almost before he knew the real distinctions or more than the names of the different parties in ireland been a strong party man he called himself a government man but he was one of those partisans whom every wise and good administration in ireland has discountenanced and disclaimed he was in short one of those who make their politics an excuse to their conscience for the indulgence of a violent temper ormond was indignant at the inveterate prejudice that marcus showed against a poor man whom he had injured but who had never injured him the moment marcus saw moriarty carroll again and heard his name mentioned he exclaimed and reiterated that's a bad fellow i know him of old all those carols are rascals and rebels marcus looked with a sort of disdainful spleen at the house which ormond had fitted up for moriarty so you stick to this fellow still what a dupe ormond this moriarty has made of you said marcus but that's not my affair i only wonder how you wheedled my father out of the ground for the garden here there was no wheedling in the case said ormond your father gave it freely or i should not have accepted it you were very good to accept it no doubt said marcus in an ironical tone i know i have asked my father for a garden to a cottage before now and have been refused sir ulic came up just as this was said and alarmed at the tone of voice used all his address to bring his son back to good temper and he might have succeeded but that peggy carroll chanced to appear at that instant who is that cried marcus peggy sheridan as i live is it not no please your honour but peggy sheridan that was peggy carroll that is said peggy curtsying with a slight blush and an arch smile so you have married that moriarty at last i have please your honour he is a very honest boy and i'm very happy if your honour's pleased who persuaded your father to this pray contrary to my advice nobody at all please your honour said peggy looking frightened why do you say that peggy said ormond when you know it was i who persuaded your father to give his consent to your marriage with moriarty you mr ormond oh i comprehend it all now 
said marcus with his sneering look and tone no doubt you had good reasons poor peggy blushed the deepest crimson i understand it all now said marcus i understand you now harry ormond's anger rose and with a look of high disdain he replied you understand me now no nor ever will nor ever can our minds are unintelligible to each other then turning from him ormond walked away with indignant speed peggy don't i see something like a cow yonder getting her bread at my expense said sir ulic directing peggy's eye to a gap in the hedge by the roadside whose cow is that at the top of the ditch half through my hedge i can't say please your honour said peggy if it wouldn't be patty mcgrath's betty mcgregor cried she calling to a barefooted girl whose cow is yonder oh mercy but if it isn't our own red rogue and when i tied her legs three times myself the day said the girl running to drive away the cow oh she strays and trespasses strangely the red cow for want of the little spot your honour promised her said peggy well run and save my hedge from her now my pretty peggy and i will find the little spot for her to-morrow said sir ulic away ran peggy after the cow while lowering marcus cursed them all three pretty peg he swore ought to be banished from the estate the cow ought to be hamstrung instead of having a spot promised her but this is the way sir you ruin the country and the people said he to his father be that as it may i do not ruin myself as you do marcus replied the cool sir ulic never mind the cow nonsense i am not thinking of a cow nor i neither sir then follow harry ormond directly and make him understand that he misunderstood you said sir ulic excuse me sir i cannot bend to him said marcus and you expect that he will lend you ten thousand pounds at your utmost need the money with your estate can be easily raised elsewhere sir said marcus i tell you it cannot sir said the father i cannot bend to ormond sir to anybody but him anything but that my pride cannot stoop to that your pride pride that licks the dust thought sir ulic it was in vain for the politic father to remonstrate with the headstrong son the whole train which sir ulic had laid with so much skill was he feared at the moment when his own delicate hand was just preparing to give the effective touch blown up by the rude impatience of his son sir ulic however never lost time or opportunity in vain regret for the past even in the moment of disappointment he looked to the future he saw the danger of keeping two young men together who had such incompatible tempers and characters he was therefore glad when he met ormond again to hear him propose his returning to annerley and he instantly acceded to the proposal castle hermitage i know my dear boy cannot be as pleasant to you just now as i could wish to make it we have nobody here now and marcus is not all i could wish him said sir ulic with a sigh 
he had always a jealousy of my affection for you harry it cannot be helped we do not choose our own children but we must abide by them you must perceive that things are not going on quite rightly between my son and me i am sorry for it sir especially as i am convinced i can do no good and therefore wish not to interfere i believe you are right though i part from you with regret i shall be within your reach sir you know whenever you wish for me if ever i can be of the least use to you summon me and i am at your orders thank you but stay one moment said sir ulic with a sudden look of recollection you will be of age in a few days harry we ought to settle accounts should not we whenever you please sir no hurry on my part but you have advanced me a great deal of money lately i ought to settle that oh as to that a mere trifle if you are in no hurry i am in none for i shall have business enough on my hands during these few days before lady norton fills the house again with company i am certainly a little hurried now then sir do not think of my business i cannot be better off you know than i am i assure you i am sensible of that never mind the accounts only send for me whenever i can be of any use or pleasure to you i need not make speeches i trust my dear guardian my father when i was left fatherless i trust you believe i have some gratitude in me i do cried sir ulic much moved and by heaven it is impossible to i mean in short it is impossible not to love you harry ormond chapter twenty two